Hey guys, this is Chargers running back Joshua Kelly, and you're listening to the Charged Up Bolts podcast. Much love. Aight. Here's what's coming up this week on the Charged Up Bolts podcast. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. I'm pulling out the bold Donald Trump, baby. You're fired! You come out the shopping mall with your trolley, the wind gets hold of it, crashes into somebody's brand new motor. Nothing fancy. Oh, this is going to be spicy! Hello and welcome to the Charged Up Bolts podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Bermudez, and on this podcast, we bring you the latest Chargers news. We preview and review every Chargers miserable game this season, and we bring you the hottest hat-eating takes around. Um, the first quarter of the season is done. It's in the bag. The Chargers are 1-4, and four, which is worse than any of us uh, on this podcast predicted, um, and it's been a mixed bag of emotions. Disappointment for the defeats, the injuries we're suffering, optimism for the future with Herbert under centre. I think we can all agree on that one. But worrying uh, with the poor coaching and the defensive play that we've seen in particular that hasn't lived up to expectations. Herbert this week proved once and for all that he has the stuff to be special. Coaches are seeing it. We're all seeing it on the field. But what does he need to change around him? Coaching staff, perhaps something else? We're going to be reviewing that and answering that question by looking at the 38-31 defeat to the Tom Brady franchise. We're going to be previewing the uh, worrying Saints game that we've got this week. And we're going to be answering more of your hot questions that are going to get us wound up and uh, arguing as always. Um, I'm joined, as always, by my three amazing co-hosts. Number one, is he drinking water or is his cup full of tears? John Was Jr., Buenos dias. It's full of tears. <laughs> you said you weren't drinking water till we win. No, so it's, uh, it's it tea. It's ginger tea. Look I'm, on, I'm on a water uh, shutdown until further notice. He's tip, tipping the hat on uh, on what he's drinking. So um, number two, which coast, uh, which coach is going to get absolutely blasted this week? It's John Ayers. I don't know. There's a lot to choose from. A lot of poor play this last weekend and i am ready to fire somebody i'm pulling out the full donald trump baby you fired (laughs) well if that does happen we have the cheerleader for pep hamilton for head coach seriously dan hey why not why not the guy's a successful xfl head coach why not why not indeed come on we're, we're miserable we've lost what are we drinking? Was you're on what ginger tea? Yeah, I'm on. I'm on ginger tea. I've had a um, a few alcohol beverages today. Just a big shout out to my lovely wife Dawn. It's our thirteenth anniversary, and she's given me a leave pass tonight Woo-hoo! to do this oh podcast. <laughs> well, that's worth a round of applause. <laughs> what are you on, John? I'm on a Bohio purple honey roast so this is a much darker roast than the red honey that i had previously and the reason i'm on that is because it's got a very very spicy aftertaste to it and i'm just feeling so spicy so it just felt right (laughs) he's bringing the spice and you're not you're not in a a trash can this week i'm pleased to pleased to hear your beautiful smooth costa rican coffee voice hashtag audible chocolate i honestly i think it might have just been uh a foreboding sign for the <laughs> dumpster fire that was that Sunday game. I think you're right. Dan, what are you on? What magic are you inspiring with your drink? Nothing fancy, just Apple Fanta and a side of water. 
Someone's got tap water. You've you've let the side down today with that, Dan. Where's the random beer company drinks? Uh, There's there's no excitement to to even try and bring out that kind of drink. A frog in a sock IPA or something like that. <laughs> frog in a sock. Well, I've um, I've had to pull out my favourite drink just to make myself feel anything but miserable. So I'm on the greatest drink in the world, which is Pepsi Cherry Max with a little bit of whiskey in. So, um, you know, I was saving it for the Super Bowl or the Padres winning the pennant, but it's it's out to soothe, soothe my troubled heart after the Chargers disappointed yet again. Um Guys, let's move on to Tampa Bay, the review. The listener predictions first. I'm surprised. They went on Twitter. You said comfortable, or some of you even went close, um, sorry, comfortable or close Chargers win. What were you on, guys? I mean, on our side, Dan, you did have a Chargers win. I think the rest of us were a Buccaneers win. I I had the Chargers win uh, when we talked about it pre-season. You flipped the switch, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we were we were all negative apart from me who switched to saying we were going to beat them. I don't know what <laughs> I was drinking on that day, but um, but you know we've lost. Um, Twitter was wrong. Most of us were wrong. Um, wasn't John? Or I think you were always Buccaneers win. So well done for correctly predicting those. But what I want to know um, is what are your biggest takeaways? You know what what are your positives? What are the negatives? How are you feeling, guys? I mean, let's go to Costa Rica. John, let's start with you. What do you think? Well, I think I am clinging to my boy, Justin Herbert. He's the only thing keeping me afloat these days. I'm, I, I can't I can't lie. He is, he's my guy. Uh, I, I'm trying not to go too far into the negative after what I've seen so far. Um, and, I, you know, what, what I've seen so far from him has been great. Um, you know, he just hasn't had the support around him. I know he's made a few rookie mistakes, but I, ultimately, it's the blame is not just on him. The blame is on the rest of the team around him who is failing him. I think you even saw quotes this week from Chargers, uh, Joey Bosa saying that you know that they've got to they got to play better and got to pick him up. You know, you've got Keenan Allen out there talking about, you know, he saw Herbert with his head down, kind of, you know, really taking the loss hard. And, you know, he's just like, it's it's on us. It's on us to, to get him that win. You know, so it sounds like he's playing his heart out. It sounds like he's inspired confidence with the rest of the locker room. It sounds like they want to get him that win. They, they are playing for Herbert, which, you know, maybe he's not the vocal Philip Rivers style leader where he's out there yelling at people and, you know, yelling at the other team and, you know, throwing gosh darn it and dang nabbits all over the place. You know, that's not necessarily Herbert's game, but I think he leads by example. I think he's a competitor. I think he puts his body on the line when he needs to. Um, I, I think that he has really got the locker room behind him, and I think that has really inspired me, you know. And what he's doing out there is amazing, especially if you think about, you know, people were talking about, oh, well, you know, at Oregon he had pretty clean pockets, yet he was still a one-read guy, he was still a guy who was just, you know, there's a lot of flaws in his game, and he's corrected all those things. And PFF had just uh, a day or two ago put out the stat that the uh, average pressures uh, per game or per dropback for um, for Herbert at Oregon, we're seven point seven. They're sixteen point three. This uh, so far with the Chargers. So I mean, he's got 
over twice as much pressure, and he's just excelling. So for me, I'm clinging on to the positive on that, uh, especially from this game going toe-to-toe with Brady. Hearing what Arians had to say, I don't know if – I'm sure most of you have caught that oh, by now. I love but, that. I mean, Arians was just gushing over Herbert, saying that this kid is special, the kind of throws he makes. I mean, that just – that dime – throwing basically running backwards on a seven step drop trying to not get sacked and just throws a freaking 60 yard just just gorgeous pass i mean i just i can't get over some of the things that he's doing out there and that to me is is giving me the most positive even if the record is not what we wanted it to be um so i mean that's that's what i'm clinging to mate you know cling to that i i couldn't agree with you more dan are you on the same boat is uh is herbert keeping you afloat or have you can you see something else are you more negative than positive or the other way around it's a mixed bag isn't it um especially if you just take one thing for example take the o-line it was really kind of surprisingly decent semi-decent pass blocking but then no ability to kind of create any holes for the run game you've got a mixed bag across the board um herbert is definitely the highlight um and then you've got you got those um, new guys coming in with their ridiculous, here's my one play in the NFL and I'm going to catch a 60-yard touchdown or a 70-yard touchdown. That's always good. Um, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, that, that'll that do. That'll do. Maybe we'll get a couple another random guys next week. Maybe KJ Hill and Joe Reed, um, if Joe Reed's playing. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on Justin Herbert. I think we've covered that. It's another great performance from the uh, youngster. Um, Dan, I don't agree with you on the offensive line. I think we could have done a bit better. Uh, two quarter, uh, sorry, six quarterback hits and two sacks. That's going to disrupt uh, Herbert. Potentially, he could lose a bit of confidence in, in the guys that are there to protect him. But we're not going to split airs on that. It's just 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 a minor point. I think defensive struggles. Boza didn't look fit to me, and we're clearly missing Melvin Ingram. If people are questioning why Tom Telesco paid Ingram, well, proof's there. He hasn't played for two games, and we're struggling to generate pressure. Um, if you look at that first drive from Tom Brady, it was obvious to anybody watching that game whether you knew the NFL inside out or whether you're watching it for the the you know uh, as a as a rookie fan. That drive was only going to end in one uh, outcome and a touchdown. And even my wife said, "Why? Why are they? Why is this so easy for the books? You know." And it's it's generating pressure. We could not stop that drive. Luckily enough, obviously Herbert went down the other end and um, put six on the board. But the, the cleats as well. I mean, if anybody pays attention to the weather before a game, I, I always do. You know, the humidity, the the turf. Whether it's soccer, rugby, or, or football, you know, you've got to make sure you're wearing the right footwear. And I'm and I'm pretty sure that Austin Eckler's injury was attributed because his cleats didn't have the right depth of stud. Okay, that that awful twist there, the hyperextension, is probably attributed to that horrendous hamstring injury. Um, that that's a bit of a takeaway for me, and and that one's on the coaches because. Somebody should be out there checking that, that, making sure the guys are wearing the right footwear. I might be clutching at straws on this, but it's it's part. It's it's that um, those marginal gains that um, Dave Brelford goes on about in in cycling. If anybody read my six takeaways on chargedupbolts.com immediately after the defeat, 
the big one, um, and I had a quick chat with John about this after the game. The Chargers can't play four quarters of football. You know, going before that fumble, I thought, oh my lord, we're going to go into half time here smoking cigars, you know, and Bruce Arians is going to lay into to the, uh, the the books. Lynn's going to tell our guys to hold the line and keep doing what we're doing, but that didn't happen. That that fum that fumble changed the momentum of the game and when the books came out for the second half Brady adjusted we didn't adjust and it all went sour from there on in um, it, it was really disappointing to see well it's it's a theme that we've seen for years and it's not gone away and I keep mentioning on every single podcast I think we should have a challenge that if I mention Mike McCoy um, or Melvin Gordon, you get to drink. So there's two for you anyway. Um, but, you know, the Mike McCoy started it, losing these close games that you should win. And and you feel as if it's still there, as a spectre hanging over the team. Um, for me, I'm really disappointed with our defence. I think it's overrated. It isn't performing up to scratch. There are bright spots on it. There are moments of dominance. There are moments of pick sixes. But in general, it has too many weaknesses that... People like Tom Brady are gonna gonna eat. I've I've said this for a long time about Tom Brady. He studies your defense. He picks on people. He feels as he has a uh, big advantage over, and he embarrasses them. He picked on Michael Davis, who managed to pick him off once and get destroyed the rest of the game. He picked on Kaiser White regularly, and who who I actually thought held up well, but still not enough to 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 stop them over the middle. And he picked on Casey Hayward. That that's just he just got burnt all day long. Couldn't couldn't cover. Couldn't stop Evans um, when he was asked to. So, you know that was hugely disappointing. The secondary was really poor. Uh, I'm just not impressed. And I was so excited coming into the season. And there's it, only so many excuses. There's only so many times you can say Derwin James's name as an excuse for this defense. Is it the coaching? I think it's Gus Bradley. I think. Gus Bradley is too predictable, is too much the same. People know what he's going to do. No, I'm fed up of him. Can I but, can I make a point to yeah, this? Yeah, go for it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to tease something a little bit. I'm working on a big project here. Um, you know, I've obviously been very um, boisterous about my opinion on Anthony Lynn lately. And, you know, some of that is gut. I think some of that is is just what I've seen with my eyes. Uh, but sometimes eyes can be deceiving and sometimes gut can be deceiving. So I'm going through and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, the statistics um, through every single game that he's coached for the Chargers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm at the early stages and I'm going to have a nice full series on chargeduppolt.com for everybody to, to review and read and kind of see what I'm seeing and what the numbers are telling me. Uh, but something that's really interesting to me, what, just pulling, you know, just basic numbers on win-loss, um, and that's that, you know, the Chargers have, uh, over his tenure, had 31 total games that were considered close games. That's eight points or less decided by. They are 13 and eight in those games. Um, uh, that accounts for 57.4% of their games. That is a lot of games that you're playing close games. And, you know, to Anthony Lynn's credit, he's talking about winning the turnover battle. Well, uh, overall, in the 54 games he's coached, when they win the turnover battle, they're 19 and two. When they just tie the turnover battle, they're seven and seven. But when they lose, they're two and seventeen. So I, I get where he's coming Yikes. from. That you know you got to win those tur- that turnover battle, and you know maybe you do. I mean, there are definitely some teams out there who who 
make plenty of turnovers, but they make up for it by scoring, uh, you know, plenty of points to and so on and so forth. This is not that team. You know, when when almost 60% of your games are settled by one point or less, or sorry, by one score or less, you can't lose the turnover battle. You absolutely cannot. So if Anthony Lynn is going to continue continue to coach a team who tends to, who who are going to play in this large amount of of one score or less games, then they do have to win that turnover battle. And I don't know if this defense, as as good as it is at keeping the other team you know from scoring a ton of points, as good as it does you know limiting big plays, if they're not going to get turnovers then it's it doesn't jive with what Anthony Lynn wants to do. So I'm not necessarily saying that I think Gus Bradley should be fired or that he's doing a bad job because I actually think the defense is good. The problem is I don't... He should be fired. He is doing a bad job. <laughs> I just don't think... <laughs> I, I'm just saying I just don't think that his defense, his defense and defensive philosophy is jiving with what Lynn is trying to do on the offensive side of the ball, which is it's really not scoring a ton of points. I mean, it, he's just—it's it, just not a—they're just not a blowout team, you know. If you look at the games where the game is decided by 17 points or more, um, that's, those are games that I consider blowouts. Um, they're eight and three in his tenure. So okay. when they can muster a, a, a large, you know, a, even if it's a large deficit or a large amount of points, they're eight and three. So what does that tell you? They—they they just they need to—they need to be focused on either. Playing close games and not turning the ball over, and just limp and just dealing with the fact they're not going to score a lot of points, but being maybe more aggressive on defense to get those turnovers, or they need to start scoring more points and be fine being you know kind of more vanilla on defense. But right now, this kind of vanilla offense, vanilla defense, no, it's going to lose a lot right. of games. Like they, they kind of need to choose one or the other. I don't at least that's just what the numbers are telling me. Um, and just to kind I'm, of, I'm right <laughs> with you there, John. I, I mean, you know, where's the aggressive play? He's always been Gus Bradley, a bit of a. Um, Contain kind of de frustrating at the end of halves, giving up chunk plays, allowing our uh, opponents to get three points on the board minimum, and it's, it's frustrating. I think the problem you've, which you've nailed is if you're going to have and this this does this offense as we talked about on charge.bolts.com is is an offense to not turn the ball over and eke it down the field, and when inevitably Turod becomes our starting quarterback next week or um, again. You cannot rely on, you know, twenty points. Apart from the apart from Herbert lighting up against Tampa for on the point score, we've been around twenty points. That's about you know what our offense has produced. Well, Torrod is going to be at that level. Your defense needs to be picking the ball, turning it over exactly as you've mentioned. And I don't think Gus is the right guy to do that. If you have a look at Curtis Egan's blog on chargeupbolts.com about the defence. Sorry, Dan, <laughs> I'll let you get in there in a minute. Uh, he talks about warm butter defence, okay? Yes, when, great way of putting it. Yeah, well, when when Bradley uh, was at the head coach of Jacksonville, 2013-2014, they ranked 32nd in points allowed and 30th in, in points allowed over those two years on defence, okay? So there's a bit of a uh, theme running here. And it sounds like we're just digging out Bradley, but we're you know we're, we're talking about a team that's that's not winning football games at the minute. Uh, but have a have a read of that. It it it's it's an eye opener. Put it that way. Dan, over to you. So one of the things I was going to bring up was Curtis Egan's written a good piece about Gus Bradley over on charge.bolts.com. <laughs> um, I've actually got it open. I've got it posted to our Facebook page, um, facebook.com/charge.bolts. Um, but that wasn't the main point that I wanted to jump in with. Um, 
I wanted to jump in with just my thoughts on what really stood out to me coaching-wise this game was that run game. Like, I know we're working with a makeshift O-line. Um, and those guys are playing okay overall. But wasn't Lynn kind of brought in as a guy who's like a uh, run game genius? This guy is all about the yeah. run. He's got all these different fronts. Yet, where where was it? We we didn't see a single jet sweep or anything like that. It was always just like, right, let's just keep slamming it up the middle. I think between Jackson and um, Kelly, we had, what, 16 rushes for 15 yards or 15 for 16. It's like only so much of it can be the O-line not making space. I mean, they're, they're not making space because they're not being coached or given the plays to make the space partially. Um, and I was just I was just at a loss thinking, what is going on here? Like, he's... He's a running back guy. Surely he's got to find a way to get someone to have a positive play every now and then. <laughs> It'd be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong, Tampa yeah. Bay have a great front and they're yeah. known for, to run stuffing. It, just out but, of interest. Yeah, I agree with you. Chargers' top rusher in that game Justin was Herbert. Justin Herbert with yeah. 14 yards of five carries. Second was, was Austin we, Eckler, who left yeah, in the first quarter. I was going to say, <laughs> once we lost, lost Eckler, it was all down to the passing game. And like yeah. we've already mentioned, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, and. Don Junior, credit to those three undrafted rookies. Well, you you mentioned that it's all down to the pass game, but I mean, if I could spot it before the second half started, I tweeted out, "What are we going to see? Run up the middle, run up the middle, broken down, uh, I mean, broken third and long um, to start the half," and it's exactly what they came out and did. And it's like, if I can see it, I'm I'm certain some actual professionals can see it. <laughs> John <laughs> John makes a good point, you know, about um, our coaches. Changing up. The Chiefs did it to us in week two and Tampa Bay did it last week. We just didn't adjust and that's going to be a problem going forward. And Without stealing any sandwiches, it's going to be a massive problem on Monday Night Football. Oh yeah, we, we did have a good drive that um, unfortunately was capped off with the missed field goal. Um, but that drive was, we were moving the ball effectively. Keenan Allen caught a great ball um, for a first down, but it got called back for a chop block. Um, oh, yeah, which then that... pushed us back like 22 oh. yards from where we had been or something something ridiculous. 15-yard um, penalty pushed us back to second and 22 and it completely then stopped that drive. And that was our drive to get back in the game after the Bucks had come out and scored. And it was just penalties and the run game were the big thing for me. I mean, you look at the special teams and you've got two penalties on like back-to-back punts for Gabe, oh, yeah. Gabe Neighbours. Like, what's he so, doing? Yeah, get, I know. Yeah, Gabe, get, what was going on there? Well, let's get this right. A, a, a run, a genius in the run game, head coach who breeds discipline and everyone loving him and knowing their jobs and not committing penalties, loses because he can't run the ball and everyone's ill-disciplined and committing penalties. And he doesn't Good know job which challenge. On a, on a, on a positive, um, Tyron Johnson's touchdown reception. That route that he, you know, he completed was, 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 in my opinion, and I'm not an NFL scout, that was pure instinct. Because I think if you, I haven't got the, I haven't got the tape up, but I think he ran past, or he ran through three defensive backs uh, during that play. I, I just thought it was amazing. Um, for, for Herbert to spot him as well. I didn't even see that coming. Uh, it it's difficult beautiful. on TV. And I think even if you're in the stand, you, you would have potentially missed that play because it came out of nowhere. And I, I think that's another positive. But again, that's Justin Herbert. 
finding his receivers downfield. You know, Mate, but we can, we can talk all night about Justin because he's just fit. How much, how good are those long throws? That strength in that arm. I mean, and not just him. There's tons of injuries, and, and we always say next man up. I'm going to say I'm going to turn a positive here and say the rookies on the O side of the ball. We've yeah, got yeah. we found some gems, people that can play, people that can motor. Justin leads them. You know, uh, you've also got Johnson. You've got my boy Donald Part of Junior. Um, what all seven foot eight of him? <laughs> <laughs> he's a man amongst children when he's in the end zones. And and the coaches, the coaches, you know, picked him out. Look, we, we speak about injuries. Justin's going to stop taking those hits. When he got pancakes on the sidelines, like, oh my lord, he's not getting up from that. But yeah, he's a, he's a tough dude, but he needs to stay away from that. I mean, we we all kind of thought this would be a tough game. I don't think any of us thought we were going to blow him out. Thought it'd be close. Most of us felt that the Bucks would win, um, and and we would go into the season, into the first quarter of the season, in the bag, two and two or three and one. I think. In particular, I'm going to come to you two who were three and one originally. <laughs> Dan was um, compared to the optimism you had at that point. Do you feel completely deflated, um, or do you think actually we're not far off, Dan? Uh, I, I wouldn't say completely deflated. I mean, the, my optimism in the team as a whole. Yes, that may have uh, dulled a bit, but you can't help but be excited with Herbert. So at least, at least there's that. Um, we weren't far off the Chiefs. We weren't far off the Bucks. We weren't great against the Panthers. Um, we we had that what 17 point lead or something at halftime in this game. It's there's reason still for optimism, um, especially with the next four games. Not necessarily the next one, but the three after that. Um, so uh, until we lose two of those three winnable games um then then i'll still have some optimism yeah i think i'm with dan on this it's i'm gonna give a strange analogy it's like going to the the shopping mall you've done it a hundred times on this particular day you come out the shopping mall with your trolley the wind gets hold of it crashes into somebody's brand new motor you get all your shopping out the out the uh trunk uh when you get back into your drive all the bags split and and all your jars smash all over the drive it's like everything seems to be going wrong um, and it's an accumulation of, of, of you know, ter- lose the turnover battle, injuries, um, decision-making on the field. I mean, yeah, Herbert could have done a better job with the interception against the Chiefs, but come on, you know, he's a rookie, he's learning the game. It, it's it, it's easy to start pointing fingers. If, if the Chargers are 4-0 here, if we're 4-0 right now, we are glossing over all the uh, errors and the, the the bad coaching decisions. Okay, now we're one and three. You know, it's Coach Lynn's on the hot seat. You know, there's there's red flags glaring everywhere, and I think we've just got to stay positive. It was. We've got some. Outs- I had a question for you. Yeah, yeah. If we are four and zero, oh, do you think some of those egregious? poor play calls of not going for it on fourth down and, you know, not kicking the field goal when they probably could have and so on and so forth. Do you think those actually happened? Cause I'm, my guess is that if we are four and oh, they made the right calls and not the wrong ones. Just, I mean, maybe that's just my uh, pessimism. Yeah. I mean, listen to Andy Reid yesterday when the chiefs went four and oh, he turned around and said, we've got to do a lot. We've got a lot to do. We've got to do a lot more things on the field better. I'm like, yikes. 
I don't want to hear that because you, you almost look unstoppable. It is. There's always room for improvement. Um, you know, it's it's when a team's losing, you you tend to focus on a lot of the negatives. And I'm always positive. You know, I'm I'm quite nervous about uh, Monday, but I'm going to be there, staying up till the early hours of the morning, hoping that we can do something against Drew Brees. But um, I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think. Anthony Lynn's a quitter. I don't. If you if you look around the the locker room, there's some there's some strong-minded uh, people in there, and I don't think they want to lose. This is this is not a team like the uh, 0-16 Colts uh, a few years ago, or um, or the Jags that are now going to go one and fifteen. Guys, I did say 0-16. <laughs> yeah, we we the, the, we just need to mesh four quarters of football together. You know, we need to cut out these these silly mistakes. I mean, okay. who would have put money on us being all the you know what was it seventeen points a bit on the on Tampa Bay, with with less than two minutes to go in the first half, and then we, we've got the ball and we fumble it at our own eight yard line. You know, what are the odds on that? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, I get the sense of you, there's still some lingering optimism, even though you're two games off your predictions, guys. Just gonna throw out that. Um, but John, you and I were two and two after the first quarter. We are only one game behind what we predicted in reality, but I think we're perhaps a long way. The performances are a long way behind what you and I might have thought they would have been. So my question to you, John, is: Do you think this is a playoff football team in the expanded playoffs universe, or do you think you know that one and three we're really? in the running for, uh, for for missing out on the playoffs? Um, I guess I have two answers. One, do I think there's a realistic chance that they can still make the playoffs? Absolutely. I mean, look at this upcoming schedule. Yeah, the Saints are a tough, tough out, but, you know, they've been struggling. They lost to the Raiders, so obviously they're beatable. Um, and I just think that that is a, that is a to me, it, it's maybe not a 50-50 game, but it's like a 60-40 game. Like there's real optimism that they could win that game, and then the next three, as we've discussed numerous times on this pod, <laughs> we've got you know the 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 Bengals or not the Bengals, the uh, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, and the Jets coming up in, in, in three uh three or four next games. I mean that you could potentially see this team going for if, if they squeak out a win on Monday night against the Saints, they could potentially win four games in a row. Like that is not to me out of the question. So, and then you look at the rest of the schedule, the Broncos were looking like a tough out, but given the fact that they've been decimated by injuries worse than the Chargers maybe this year, uh, especially at really key positions at quarterback, wide receiver, um, I just, I I don't think the Broncos are going to be a tough out. That could be a sweep. So there's two more wins there. Uh, The Raiders, they don't scare me. They just, they don't, they're an uneven team. So we could split with them. We could also beat them. I mean, and and then you go down the line, the Bills are probably a tough, uh, a tough matchup. The Patriots, I mean, yes, they're they're a different team with Cat Newton. They're still not a great team, even with Cam, because Cam hasn't really been lighting it up through the air. Yeah, he's had some good passes, but he hasn't been great. He's really just... Cam. Yeah, he's he's really just been, you know, he's he's really just been kind of running it mostly. So if they can figure out... I mean, not that the Chargers are any good at stopping a running quarterback, but if they can figure that out, uh, maybe pull the same kind of defense that they had against uh, Lamar Jackson in the playoffs there in in 2018, maybe. Um, But, you know, if you... I mean, really, I'm just sitting here looking at the schedule, and... 
you know, who else is on Atlanta? Uh, that's that team is a dumpster fire. They may be w- with an interim head coach yeah. by the time we play them. I mean, look at the schedule. Like how many how many of these next next games do you really think? You know, we've got what twelve more games. The Saints are a tough game. The I don't know who else. The Chiefs at the end of the season are a tough game unless they're fifteen and zero and they're just or you know. Best case scenario is they're 14 and one, so they're not playing for that perfect season. So they're like, well, why would we start anybody against the Chargers? You know, so that could even be just a throwaway game for them. Um, so you've got them, you've got the Bills. I mean, and maybe the Patriots. That's three games in the yeah. next 12 that are really like, oh, these are games that I'm not sure what's going to happen on, or or I think they're going to lose. So yes, I think that this team can still make the playoffs. I, I really do. Now, the second part of that question, are they a playoff team? Right now, the way they're being coached and the way that they're playing with all the mistakes, they are absolutely not a playoff team. They're a team that maybe mm-hmm. they sneak in, but they get trounced in the first round by the Chiefs or the or the Ravens or, or whoever else from the AFC or the Bills or whatever. You know, like I just they're not playing like a playoff team now. I think they could be a playoff team realistically because of their schedule. And I think that if they get into the playoffs, maybe they, you know, if they can figure out some of these turnover issues and if they can figure out some of this, you know, their play calling gets more and more aggressive as it has each and every week um, since, since week one, if, if everything can get there, then potentially they are a playoff team. And the chargers in the playoffs are, are a scary team. I think, I think Gus Bradley, if, if he's told, Hey, you've got to do one thing well, and that's sell out to beat Lamar or sell out to beat blank. I think he, he can do that i think really he could theoretically do that yeah so i, I it, it's hard for me to say I, I don't think right now they're playing like a playoff team but i think realistically they have the opportunity well, because of their schedule to make the playoffs especially with the expanded playoffs I mean, well let me yeah. let me frame it like this for you john we didn't have a preseason this year so that was that was games one to four look at it like a preseason what have we learned in this preseason that counted we learned who our future quarterback is that he stepped up and won out the role we learned that we have some rookies who can make amazing plays, and we learned that our D is a dumpster fire that needs to improve. So if you're going into the season like that, and that's the expectations you've been set in preseason, I think right now I'd be saying that we were more of an 8-8 eight and eight team that might be one of the teams that wins a few lucky games and sneaks into the playoffs. But actually, you know, we're 1-3, and three, is that we've only dropped one game. The Panthers are better than a lot of people thought, including us on this podcast. So we can all eat a hat on the Panthers because they're they're not they're not an awful awful football team. So we've dropped if they one don't, game. If if we don't choke ourselves out of that game, they're zero and four. Am I correct in that? You are. So true. that sounds pretty bad to me. But okay, yeah, never, I, never mind. I, I, never mind. I guess fair, maybe. fair, fair comment. <laughs> okay, you know, that's all the I'm performances say. Are, the performances have not been. You know, they they don't make it easy for anybody. So so. Um, they're not a top a top pick team. They are a. What's go? Uh, uh, hello, hang on. What's going on here? What on earth are you wearing, Dan? Dan King's it's just a Panthers in the room. Hat. Just a Panthers hat. <laughs> Someone's so miserable. He's he's moved over teams. Oh jeez, I wouldn't like to live in your house last week. But uh, do you know? Do you know? My, I still have optimism. I don't think we. Are, I've come to the calm realization that this is not a super bowl winning year and if you're not in it to win it i'm more than happy to have it as a development year you keep justin herbert in you let those rookies come to the to the fore you fire you fire gus bradley and get a competent defensive coordinator and you kick up the ass every single one of the team on the on d and get them playing like they should be 
That's what this season is. Sneak into the playoffs, give Justin Herbert some playoff experience in his first year, and you go into year two of the Justin Herbert experiment with a full preseason, hopefully some healthy players, shake off the curse, and you go at the uh, go to win it all next year. So uh, I don't know if I'm being over negative, writing us off already, but um, but that's that's where I am. I think We're Tom. Not at the Chiefs I think level. Tom Telesco and Dean Spanos need to sit down and decide what is the most realistic scenario here. Is it more realistic like, that we can be a playoff team and make a run? If so, great. Let's do that. If it's not, then Anthony Lynn's not going to have that same vision. Anthony Lynn's not the kind of coach that goes, well, this is a development year. Let me put my rookies in. Let me, you know, we're just going to lose what we lose. That's not Anthony Lynn's style. So if if the front office thinks that this is a development year and that's fine if they do, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that scenario. I don't like being a middling team. You're better served either being really good or really bad. Don't be in the middle. Yep. It does you no good to be in the middle because not only are you not winning anything, but you're also not getting a high enough draft pick to, to really make the yeah. impact. So I'd rather either be really bad or really good. Those are where I, I don't want to be in the middle. So if that's what they want, they need to fire Lynn now. They need to, they need to fire Lynn. They need to put whoever they want at the head coach and whatever. And, to, and with the specific instructions that, look, you're not playing to be the head coach. Maybe put Steichen in there. I don't care. Whatever. Say, look, you're not playing to be the head coach. You're you're just coaching to to develop these guys. So I don't, you know, we don't care if you win. We don't. We actually don't even want you to win, right? Let him have that premise going in, and you're fine. But don't play this game of well, the front office thinks it could be a development year, but we're still going to let Lynn try as hard as he can because he's not going to let the rookies play. He's not going to. He's going to try to win every game, and all you're going to end up is eight and eight. Or seven, you know, seven and nine, and you're going to end up with a middle of the first round pick. So you're going to miss out on all the top tackles, probably the top one or two cornerbacks, and probably the top wide receiver. So then you're sitting there trying to grab, you know, the second or third best at a position at the at the absolute best, if not a second tier player at a position. So I don't know. I, I feel like they really need to make a decision. If they think this is a playoff team, if they think they can do it, fine. Go all in. Keep doing that. But don't play this in the middle game. If we don't beat the Jets in week six, basically look at a second uh, overall pick. <laughs> so, I, I, that's where we're headed. Don't that get is where we're headed. Because, you know, we've, uh, we've already spoke about it. Jets, Dolphins, Jags. We should be beating all those three. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um we're coming to a nice soft patch of the season and I think we're going to learn who the Chargers are um, for real in those games when uh, Turrody's put back in as our QB1. So uh, you know you it's don't, coming. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> stop. Please stop. Um, so guys, um, you know, we, we've put to bed another defeat. We're disappointed. Um, but I think we're going to have to find some positives and choose our players of the week. So um, let's. Th- these will be decided on Twitter by our listeners. So we each get to nominate one uh, player of the week from each side of the football. So uh, let's start off with offense, and I'm going to start off with Dan King. Um, so my offensive player of the week uh, is Keenan Allen. Um, he was our only receiver really getting involved, apart from the the big plays, which were, as mentioned earlier, pretty fantastic. But he was the only player with more than three balls thrown his way he caught eight of them um even though they knew it was coming to Allen, and he had that fantastic catch on the sideline um which was just crazy impressive uh, that he 
He caught just past the first down marker, but fell back towards the line of scrimmage with the catch. So they marked him just short. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can look past Keenan Allen there and his importance to that team, especially once Eckler went down. No, oh, it's, it's a great shout. Um, I won the vote uh, the past week after the Panthers game with with nominating him, he is on fire. He's one of the brightest spots on our team. So I mean, you're in with a shout, um, John. Uh, John Ayres, where are you going with your player of the week on offensive side of the football? Um, I'm going to go back to the trenches and go back to my guy Lamp. I I, I, I do love Force Lamp. I you know I advocated for him to be the starting left guard to begin the season. Uh, it ended up happening, but not in the way I thought. And every single game, he's just gotten better and better he has in my opinion he's probably two or three more starts away from securing uh, a new contract for himself and i i just i've been super impressed by him i think if you if you look at you know what he did on sunday he had the highest uh pass block rate of anybody on the line the second highest run block rate of anybody on the line overall he allowed zero QB pressures. I mean, that is just for for him to show out against this defense that was really focused on pressuring Herbert, who, by the way, was being pressured all day long. And the fact that none of those came from Lamp, I just think it just he's really been a revelation. Uh, well, not for me because I I saw it coming, but for I think for this offensive line in general, he's been a revelation. I think uh, Feeney has he didn't have his best game, but I think Feeney has also been a revelation. I think the two of them could be part of the middle of that offensive line for years to come mate he, he's one of the uh, biggest disappointments in past seasons and he's healthy and he's performing so you know buzzing i see it's a great nomination was where are you heading offensively to challenge against keenan allen and forest lamp number 10 justin herbert of course you <laughs> <Hands> are <down. laughs> Look, he had, he, the guy the, the dude had me, had me off my seat um, some of those missiles that he, he made uh, absolutely phenomenal uh, it's just exciting to watch he had a p- perfect passer rating going into the fourth quarter um, yeah okay we had the interception but we've already spoke about Tyron Johnson's uh, touchdown pass and the other two as well I mean some of those throws he probably didn't have any right to, to make as, as a rookie but I think his attitude and his belief in his own ability um, speaks volumes. And the fact that a lot of the NFL experts out there are waxing lyrical about him, it, it just sums it up. We've got a future Hall of Famer on our hands. Yes. He needs to stay healthy. He, he said it. He said it. The HOF. Yeah. Justin Herbert, mate. That is that is a pick. It's going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Um, you know, Fantastic. I think, I think you could have it this week. Um, but I'm going to challenge you with with one player that will definitely be in the Hall of Fame, and my nomination is my boy, Donald Parham Jr. <laughs> I told you, I told you in preseason, the guy's a beast. He's gigantic. Throw to him in the end zone. He's going to catch the ball, and he did. Got his first touchdown. Um, so, so I feel obligated to nominate my boy. Um, but I actually went back and watched some tape, and he did some decent blocking. There was some snaps in yeah, there where he, he manhandled. He manhandled his man and, um, you know, he could develop. Depends if we keep Hunter Henry around, but um, he, he's a different proposition. He isn't catching the ball through the middle of the field, you know, and, and, and beating people. He is end zone material. And if Mike Williams can't be fit and healthy 
and and we're not going to re-sign the seventh overall pick that is looking more and more like you know a talented failure then you need a Donald Parham Jr. to go up and get balls go up and throw it to him and let him jump up and get it so he's my nomination if Don Jr. scores three uh, touchdowns like Robert uh, Tonyan did for the Packers mm-hmm. this week, I'm going to give him Offensive Player of the Year. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be coming. Right, Let's. Uh, so we'll get those out on Twitter. Let's flip it over. I'm going to start us off on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I'm going to nominate someone that isn't just for his play on the field, but because of uh, sticking two fingers up to the uh, to the coaching staff. And uh, that's Desmond King. Um, snubbed. Went on a Twitter rant, demanded to be played. Injury has allowed him to play. And he performed better than I think Chris Harris did when he was on the field. Um, you know, this is a guy that was getting um, getting into Pro Bowls and, and, and making a difference. And then he's just forgotten about doing nothing for our team except warm the bench. And injury has allowed him to perform. He was in and around the ball early doors. I think he faded a little bit later on in the game. But he proved that uh, Lynn's judgment on him is a little misguided. I mean, in this off-season, we saw Lynn let Adrian Phillips go. Adrian Phillips is a fully-fledged linebacker for the Patriots and is getting rave reviews over there. Desmond King is sat on our bench doing nothing after being um, you know, a Pro Bowl sort of slot receiver slash you know, dime linebacker. Well, I don't know, whatever you want to call him. Just... just balling out and, and hitting people first player of the game he's the one that's there making a great tackle um so desmond king welcome back to where you should be which is playing and not sat on the bench because anthony for no apparent reason doesn't like you this is really difficult i, I don't think anyone really stood out but i'll go with kaiser white he, he was busy again led the team in tackles um he, he made a few mistakes um he had a, he had a pass defended no one really stood out. I'm going to go with Kaiser. Yeah, he actually nearly had an interception. You know that that, yeah. that 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 throw. I thought he'd come away with it, um, and it was a great a great challenge, a great catch by the uh, the wide receiver. But yeah, you know, it was Gronk. It was Mer- it was Gronk. It was Gronk. Who, yeah, who I'm refusing to drop for one of my fantasy teams because <laughs> I believe he's going to come good at some point. But um, but yeah, you know, if you nearly come away with a pick on Gronk. Yeah, you know, in a bad defensive performance, fair enough. Well, I think I'm going to go to a guy who I've kind of picked on um, just a bit during the preseason, a guy who I had very harsh words for, and I was very concerned about being a liability on, you know, the on the defensive side of the ball, uh, and that's cornerback Casey Hayward. Not just kidding. Uh, it's actually Michael Davis. I got to give props <laughs> to Michael Davis. I, I thought he played a really strong game. Uh, I've thought, you know, once – once we had a quarterback like Brady going against us, who likes to pick some, who likes to pick on uh, certain cornerbacks, I thought Davis was going to be the target. I thought he was going to have a tough day at the office, but instead, he looked great. Um, he, I mean, obviously he had that pick six, which honestly that was a good play by him. He he recognized the route, he jumped it perfectly, and intercepted a ball that you know a good cornerback will intercept. You know, it wasn't like a oh, let me th- let me overthrow and it landed in his lap. He made a great play on the ball. He broke on it and then he took it all the way in. Uh, and he 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 did not mess around either. Um, so a little stat I saw from according to Net- Next Gen Stats on uh, fastest speeds reached this year um, on that pick six, uh, Michael Davis 
hit 21.68 miles per hour. That's the third fastest play so far in 2020. Raheem Mostert owns like the first two because uh, that dude is fast. But I mean, that is, a, that is an impressive job by Michael Davis, a guy who I was really low on going in, and he, he really did well. He, he was actually pretty good at tackling this game. His run defense wasn't great, but um, you know his coverage was just really, really good. And I just want to make sure that he gets a little bit of love for the for the really good game that I think he had this week. I'll round us out with, um, I guess, Kenneth Murray is probably probably the best left um, there. He, he had a decent game. He got beaten coverage a couple of times. Uh, I think once for one of the touchdowns, I think he, he didn't drop back or didn't pass, uh, didn't drop into the zone and just passed off his guy. Um, but uh, overall, he's he's been a big improvement in the middle of the field and he's always he's always around the action and i think you can't understate that yep fair fair enough you know some some good nominations there guys we will put it out on twitter we will get the listeners to decide who wins the player of the week this week um so let's move on let's put the tampa bay defeat to bed Brady, away you go. Please just retire and get out of this league. We're fed up of you now, having never defeated you as a starting quarterback. So, listener questions. And we have two absolute zingers for us. So, get ready for this. Thank you to Dave from Cambridge in the UK. Should the Chargers tank? I'm going to start off with Woz. No. No. It's unprofessional. It doesn't make for good viewing. And I think we spoke about this on maybe episode two or three of the Chargers at Bolts podcast. My view is, when I'm commissioner of the NFL, I will change the rules that, <laughs> basically, if you're deemed to be tanking and not putting the effort, you'd be drawn for the first round pick out of a hat. So, to avoid it, I think I think it's unnecessarily. I think we've already said that... that <sighs> John made a good point. If we're in no man's land, it's like, well, you, you're not going to get the tier one picks. You're going to end up with a tier two pick, whether it's a tackle, whether it's an edge rusher, whether it's, whether it's a wide out. But I just don't think that we've got the personnel that will allow us to tank. I think people want to win. I think there's winners in that locker room. Whether or not we can go on uh, and improve our record, yes, is is, is to be seen. Uh, we need a lot of things to start um, going right for us. We need to make improvements, our decision making. But I, I no, I, I'm not. I, I hate it. I hate capitulation. It's it's not good. It's unprofessional. I just don't think we should. And let's be honest, how many uh, first, second, third round overall picks are busts? It's not guaranteed. It's not a gimme. If you're a top draft pick, that you're going to succeed in the NFL. I don't know. Tristan, so, Tristan Wirfs was a top 10 draft pick, and he looks pretty darn good to me. Yeah, but, you know. Let's... I'd take him. Mikai <laughs> Becton was, went, went pretty high, and he's looking pretty good, and I didn't even think he was that good. Yeah. yeah. I'm not Justin Herbert, good... kid. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not bad either. He should have gone first not overall. bad. <laughs> I mean, come on, Dan. Uh, would you tank, uh, or is, is, is that completely not where we are right now? No. I. Uh, even if we were to try and lose every game we're going to beat the Jags so even if we were to tank we wouldn't end up with the first pick because Jags will go 1-15 and so I, I can't get on board with tanking I don't think I could ever get on board with tanking um, 
and as was said, there's there's plenty of guys in that locker room who you just got to imagine are the most competitive guys out there and want to win. I mean, I think if if there are any players who would be on board with tanking, I'd say just get rid of them. They're, they're just not worth it. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, and and as a second overall pick, you could end up with Ryan Leaf. Yeah. So yeah. let's not let's not go there. Mate, he was quality. Um, uh, Low quality. <laughs> I reckon I reckon John uh, disagrees because John, you said you either want to be the best or just don't be middling, be the worst. So surely we should tank now because we're not going to be the best. Um. So I didn't say you had to be the absolute best. Uh, <laughs> what I said was if you're not going to be one of the top teams, and that's. To me, a top team is a team who can who can make some noise in the playoffs. Because when you get to the playoffs, we've seen plenty of times where the best teams don't make it out of the playoffs and into the Super Bowl. It just happens sometimes. Flukes. Uh, a team just gets red hot, and they may not be the best team, but they're playing the best. So to me, if you are going to be a competitive playoff team and be a team that other players want to play on, then yes, that's what I want. But if you're going to be a middling team, I don't want that. I don't want to deal with that. I, I'd rather just be a bad team. And, you know, you say it doesn't do anyone any good to it's a tank and it's unprofessional. But I got a question for you, Oz. Are you against taking a knee at the end of the game instead of running plays? Because that's, I mean, what's the difference? What's the difference between having to make a, having to play a play every down or killing the clock by taking a knee or killing the clock by running the ball over and over again uh, and then punting it back to the other team it's just with like you know 10 seconds left because you wasted so much clock it's called strategy and to me you're in it to play to win and if you are going to be a middling team that yeah maybe you can sneak into the playoffs but you literally have probably no chance uh then i don't want that and maybe it's too early to say tank now i i just don't i mean there as we as we just talked about in the last segment of the next 12 games, there are plenty of winnable games there. There are plenty of games where if this offense can get right and the defense can you know, show a little bit more backside, this team could be a playoff team still. I think this team is still definitely talented enough. So I'm not in full tank mode right now. If you get to the point where, yeah, you're, lo- you're dropping games to the to the teams that you need to beat, i.e. the Jets, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, if you're dropping games to those teams, then yeah, this team is just probably not going to end up putting it together. <laughs> Go ahead and start tanking at that point. But I just don't think right now is it's is the time that we should start talking about tanking because I think there's still plenty of season left and plenty of opportunity for this team to end up with 10 wins. Let's look at how the season started we were predicting that the defense was going to bail out the offense you know top defense top secondary in the league flip that on his head it's the, it's the offense now that's bailing out the defense so that was a bit in a fairness bit a... that's one game i mean you're it's kind of myopic to look at this one game against tom brady and bruce arians and go oh this defense was horrible yes they played a very bad game but the three games before that they held teams to 20 points or less basically uh if you don't count the overtime points that mm-hmm. uh Tampa Bay, or sorry, that uh, Kansas City scored. So I'm sorry, but if my defense, if you tell me every week my defense is going to hold the other team to 20 points during the right during the fourth first four quarters of the game, then I'm saying hell yeah, I'll take that all day long because my offense should be able to score 21 points a game. And if they can't score 21 points a game, your offense is is the problem, not the defense. So yes, last game the defense failed them. Yes, last game was definitely on the defense more than the offense, but. 
the three previous games, the defense had held the other team down and the offense failed to score enough points to really make the difference. So to me, I don't know if we can fully blame the defense for everything that's gone on this season. I can really only blame them for Tampa Bay. That's fair enough. And, and the other question is who you who are you um, who are you tanking for? I think I'd like a, a nice left tackle from Oregon as uh, uh, as Dan King presented in in his. Uh, pre-season episode um but we'll get on to some 2021 prospects later in the season for you but no I, i'm not for tanking i think you go hard and i think you get a reputation for for being that kind of team unless you can go out and get your quarterback when when the colts tanked because they had they lost peyton manning um they wanted andrew luck and that makes sense but if you're not going to go and get out your number one pick and the and, and the quarterback of, of your dreams then then no no it's, it's not worth it um so Question number two, and I'm going to start off with, with Dan here. Dan, um, Tom on Twitter asks, win with Tarod or lose with Herbie? Oh, this is going to be spicy! <laughs> I I, um, I was thinking about it earlier today, and I, I basically got to the point that I was thinking, well, the Saints game, not to tip my hat for the next segment, is, isn't going to be the easiest. If Tyrod's healthy maybe we just put him out there and let him fail for a game um and then make the call or get get lynn on board with making the call to swap over to herbert i think i think he's already he can't he can't ignore that herbert's playing this well um but i get that he doesn't want tyrod to be forced out of the role by his injury um so I, th- I think regardless of how well Herbert plays, Tyrod's going back in at some point. Um, why not get it, get him in against the Saints, see how he fares in that game, and then bring in Herbert for the three hopefully easier games that follow. Um, I think I'd rather win than lose, um, but I don't think <laughs> we win with Tyrod. Um, so like, I think Herbert gives us a better chance to win overall but I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong oh he's he's one for one at the moment i mean and was you know do you not it think is, we should easy. take the victories easy it's an easy one for me win with tyrod i'll tell you why I, I don't want to see anybody fail on this team i'm a chargers fan i want the chargers to win tyrod is not the long-term starting quarterback for the chargers that's just in herbert's job if it means ta- tyrod coming back in and winning a few games so be it, you know, Herbert sits on the bench looking on, learning, gaining experience from what he's seeing on, on the field. You know, that that is probably an unpopular um, choice from a fan's perspective. But from a team's perspective, it's a win-win. We're winning games. Herbert's going to be there next season. It's, you know, it's a carbon copy of, of what Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes did at the Chiefs. So, yeah. Win with win with Tyron. Brave. I mean, let's go to Costa Rica. I mean, you want to win games, don't you? Uh, don't you, John? So why wouldn't you bring in the guy that's won all the games for the Chargers that he started? So let's go back to the question here. The question was, win with Tyrod, lose with Herbie. I want to win with Tyrod. So one of the reasons why I was a big proponent of sitting Herbert all year in the preseason, I said that, Look, I think Tyrod can help this team win games. I think he's not going to blow 
he's not going to blow anyone away with his offensive prowess, but I think he's going to be conservative enough with the ball to, to limit turnovers. And I think the defense can carry the team to victory. So I think that they can be a playoff team with Tyrod under center. So if you're telling me that, yes, Tyrod's going to lead this team to the playoffs and heck, they might even win a playoff game with Tyrod. I'm all for that. Put Herbert back on the bench, I guess, bottle up that, that lightning and let him play next year because ultimately it's about winning. Right, I, I I do believe that I want that this team can win, and I want them to win. However, I don't know if I see that scenario playing out anymore. I don't know if I see Tyrod coming in and leading this team at all. I don't think. I mean, again, we don't know when supposedly this rib injury happened and how his first game performance um, was because of that. But I mean, he looked atrocious. I mean, just so bad. And he is just, you know, some of the things that Herbert's doing, it, it's not necessarily that he's making throws that Tyrod can't make, although that's absolutely true. And it's not just that, <laughs> that it's true. I mean, he Tyrod, is, yeah. Tyrod yeah. in his best day, drinking as much friggin' performance-enhancing uh, steroids as he can get his hands on, couldn't make that 60-yard dime pass that Herbert made. Just never. Just not in his wheels. Not He could not. That, let's just let's just put that out there. But the point is, the point is, it's his play under pressure. Tyron under pressure is gonna take the sack. He's gonna throw the ball away. He's gonna you know maybe run it out of bounds or, or slide for a yard or two. That's what that's what Tyron gives you. And if this offensive line can't keep defensive lines from getting pressure on the quarterback, then Tyrod is not going to succeed. He needs a he needs a fairly clean pocket, and he needs to be able to kind of find guys who are open and get them the ball. And if he can't get that, then well, I I just don't see it happening. So yes, ultimately I want to win. So if Tyrod, if you're telling me right now that Tyrod will lead this team to victory, then great. But the one game I saw him play this year, he played horribly, and the only reason they won was because of an offensive pass interference call and then a botched kick that I could have made. So John, quick that, question for yeah. you. This is hypothetical. Sure. Tyrod approaches Anthony and says, look, I think Justin, I'll sit on the bench. I think Justin's a man, let him roll. Then what? Is that is that a plausible scenario? Absolutely not. Tyrod's a competitor. Tyrod has never been a, I'm the guy, I'm the starter. Even when he was a starter in Buffalo, he was kind of always like the, well, he played well enough and we didn't really have a chance to draft anybody else to replace him. So he's our guy kind of guy. Like he's never been the guy. He's never been the Justin Herbert where, hey, we drafted this kid and he's a future of this franchise. He's never been that guy. So to me, you know, he's always had to play through adversity. So I don't think that is a scenario that would ever happen. Tarot is not going to be the guy who goes, hey, let the kid play. He's going to go, no, I want my job back. I want to prove that I'm better than I am. So that's not happening. But if, if hypothetically that were to happen, then yeah, sit Tyrod the rest of the game because he obviously doesn't have that killer edge. He doesn't have that fighting spirit because the one thing that Tyrod I know brings every game is he is a competitor. Yes, he's conservative, but he's a competitor and he wants to win. And if he's telling the coach, hey, let the other guy play over me, then he's no longer a competitor and I don't want that on the field. So. I absolutely love that take. You know, um, for me, I, I see Justin Herbert improving every single week already. I saw him take less shots down the field. Um, he took the right shots down the field, but there were multiple plays where he he looked up and he made the decision not to throw it. And he took a, he took a slide. Um, he took two yards advance. He took one. We actually slid on the liner for no gain not to take an interception or 
or, or anything else. So I saw a guy that I fully respected uh, growing, and I'd like to see more of that, quite per, uh, quite honestly, which means starting starting him over Turod. And if that means defeats, so be it. You now ride with your QB1 that you've drafted, um, and you give him the chance to go out there and, um, and perform and grow. So uh, love the guy. Let's start him. Uh, thank you so much for your question, Tom. We're going to move over to talking about the Saints now, guys. Um, I want to know your thoughts on the upcoming game. This was one that we were all worried about. We saw season, uh, sorry, uh, game five of the season um, as being a, a dangerous one, uh, one that we were going to get potentially blown out and we were going to lose. Is that how we're all still feeling? The Saints haven't looked quite as good as we would have thought they were going to be. I thought they were guaranteed to be you know, the Chiefs' biggest contender for the Super Bowl. And I haven't seen that from them. Michael Thomas has been injured. That plays a big part in it. Um, you know, let's let's start off with, with with Dan. What are your thoughts about the upcoming games? Key to victories, biggest risks. What are your thoughts? Um, I see this game as being very similar to the game we've just played. We'll be going up against a team with a decent O line, a decent D line. Sorry, um, when you put in someone like Cameron Jordan, um, decent wide receivers in Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas if he's healthy. I don't know what his status is now. I think he's returned to practice. Um, and a kind of a guy who's at that stage in his career where he's more managing it from the quarterback position with a fairly decent runner that I don't think we're going to be able to stop. Um, I'm pretty pessimistic about this week's game, but if we can regain some of what we had going on that D line and get the pressure on breeze and try and take the ball away from Alvin Kamara, then we've got a chance, but um, I'm, I'm not optimistic. It all, all, I guess, depends on the status of Trey Turner and Brian Bulaga, specifically Turner, to see if we can get the game going on the ground or having that extra week to prepare to know that we're going into it without Eckler, seeing if we can get something going um, with Jackson and Kelly. Um, I just, yeah, I think it, it's probably going to be a step too far for this current Chargers team. No, uh, that, that's fair enough. You know, it's, it's injuries have, have changed our perspective, changed our the possibilities that we have for us. Completely get that, Dan. Respect that opinion. Um, but come on, it was. Give me something else. Surely oh, uh, surely we're going to smash bra- uh, Brace yourself. Freeze. Brace Here we yourself. Go. Okay. Here we are. So, if anybody watched the tape on the Saints-Lions last week, you'll know that the Lions were up by 14 within five minutes of the first quarter. Game over. Uh, uh, carbon copy of the Bucks Chargers. Breeze and the offense, they held firm. They didn't panic. And they just took the game to um, the Lions. If we're going to beat the Saints, we've got to score more than 30 points because that's what the Saints have done in three of their four games this season. They've scored 30 points or more. Pete Carmichael's offense is loaded with talent. Forget Michael uh, Thomas, arguably the best wide receiver in the game. If he's not if he's not healthy, we've got to deal with Alvin Kamara. That that dude is balling. The Saints, um, they're getting warm week by week. Their running game was non-existent pretty much weeks one and two, but over the past two weeks, it's improved. And if we, you know, we, we've got to be able to stop Kamara, okay? Latavius Murray enters week five on a hot streak. 
scored two rushing touchdowns against the Lions. They they didn't really, the, or the Lions didn't have any answer for him. And then you've got the receiving core. It's just, it just gives us lots of headaches on, on D. Emmanuel Sanders, Traquan Smith had a ball last week against the Lions. Um, two touchdowns. Smith was four for four, 54 yards. It just seems, it seems to be like the Saints uh, are gathering momentum. I've, I've got a lot of respect for this franchise. Sean Payton, he knows how to get the best out of his uh, players. Eric McCoy anchors a good offensive line. They're ranked fourth. Okay, they, They've only given up five sacks. That's the second best in the NFL. This just looks like a team that want to get this win on Monday night football and then enter their bye week, uh, rest, recoup, and then push on to the uh, postseason. Can we generate enough pressure to get to Drew Brees? That's the first question. We didn't really succeed against Tom Brady, and, and that's a big problem for me. I'm hearing that Drew Brees is an old man. He, he's over the edge. No, I'm sorry. I don't see that. Brees is, you know, is, is, he'll adapt. He'll adapt to the game. He's, he's been around the league too long. What are we going to do with our running game? We basically didn't have a running game when Eckler uh, went off the field last week. And he's not going to be available next week. So are we going to end up deploying 12 personnel packages at a running back and two tight ends? We've got the people to do it. It's whether or not Shane Steichen employs that uh, uh, tactic on, on Monday night. I just don't see how we can play how we have been through weeks two, three and four and come away with a W. I'm not writing us off, but I think our chances... Um, against the Saints is slim. We've got to be, we've got to be on our game. Our linebackers are going to have to play really well against the uh, Saints' uh, rushing game. Um, you know, we've got Cameron Jordan's had a bit of a slow start to the season. Eighty-seven sacks coming into uh, twenty twenty. Fifteen and a half sacks career high in twenty nineteen. He's only registered one sack this season, but he, he's been productive. Two tackles for loss. Seventeen tackles. And Demario Davis, he's the outstanding uh, guy for me. 26 tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks and two quarterback hits. I mean, the Saints obviously see a lot of in, in him. They've just given him a, a three-year extension. Uh, I expect the veteran to have a good game again on Monday night. So, you know, we've given up eight sacks. Saints have registered 10. We're eight-point underdogs for this one. Dennis Allen's team ranked fourth against the run and we haven't got a running game. Yikes. We're going to have to pull a rabbit out of the hat, I think. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, t- a tough one. I, I fully agree with you. Um, you know, John, does, does does Michael Thomas not being available make a difference? What, how do you see this game going? I mean, you had it down as a, a loss uh, early doors, so are you still thinking that? Um, I guess it just kind of depends on um, who the Chargers tried out there at QB. I think if it's Tyrod, I think that this game could easily turn into a boat race, and Tyrod can't keep up. Oh, yeah. Um, and but, we smash them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think if it's Herbert, I think it plays a good uh, – there's a good chance there. You know, the thing about the Saints is that their pass defense have definitely been a liability. The run defense has been on point. They've been pretty good at limiting the run, um, but they've been really susceptible to the pass. They've been really susceptible to – the pass to the running back specifically. So unfortunately for us, our best pass catching back Eckler is not going to be in the game. He's going to be gone for four to six weeks. So we're going to have to make that up. I think 
as much as I love Joshua Kelly and I think that dude can ball out, I think it actually could be a opportunity for Justin Jackson to prove his worth to the team. I think Justin Jackson is kind of the Eckler light. He's you know not quite as shifty. He's not quite as explosive as Eckler, but I think he's got the same type of good hands and good reaction to take those dump passes and screen passes and you know wheel routes and turn them into something big. So I would not be surprised if we see a lot more Jackson on the field catching the ball and then a lot more Kelly on the field uh, taking the more traditional runs. So it could be a one-two punch, pretty even split between the two of them. I'd say maybe like a 55-45 split where Kelly probably gets more touches because they are going to still try to, because Lynn doesn't know how to adjust game plans. So he's just going to keep trying to pound the rock against a defense <laughs> that, you know, has to, that has been good at stopping the, but I think eventually they're going to, it's probably going to be similar to what we saw in Tampa Bay where they're really going to have to let loose in the second half throwing or in Carolina as well where you know they're just going to have to let loose uh let herbert cook so i think that's going to be the the game plan if they're going to win and i think the defense has to play better i mean <laughs> that that's that's easy to say they have to play better but you know they, they do they, they they can't have another repeat performance like they had in tampa bay and you know if you watch the film and you watch what happened i will say this you know Yes, Gus Bradley only had, what, like a 12-13% blitz rate. Not good enough. Still going to uh, lead, quote-unquote, lead the league as far as the lowest amount of blitzes. I really think he needs to, to step that up, and I really think they need to create more pressure because right now the front four are not able to create the pressure they need to create. So I think that's something that needs to change. But if you watch the tape, there's just... It seems like there's a lot more blown assignments than anything else, and I don't know if you can blame Bradley for that. I mean, the guys are out there letting you see free runners all over the place, and I just don't know if that's just the design, um, and they've designed it that way, knowing kind of where they they're going to try to hopefully force the ball to go. I don't know, but it just it it didn't feel like um, the the Chargers did a great job covering the pass catchers last week so you know we'll see what happens this week it's michael thomas is not a guaranteed out he, he may actually play there's still some optimism that he could play i don't believe he's completely ruled out for this game i could be wrong but the last i checked there is a possibility michael thomas plays traquan smith as a guy i like um i think he's got yeah, some, like he's it. got some abilities and emmanuel sanders may be old but he's still got a little bit left in the tank and then you know like was said i mean if there's something that the Chargers have traditionally had problems with, it's pass catching running backs and it's uh, quarterbacks who can make you pay when they get out of the pocket. And, you know, Kamara is one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. He's, I, I just, I, I just feel like there's, it's going to be very hard to keep this team from scoring a lot of points, which is why I do believe that if Tyrod plays, this is a loss because he can't keep up offensively. And if Herbie plays, I think there's they have a shot at winning, although I, I would still say my money's on a loss here. Yeah, you know, completely get you. Great points again. I mean, there is a different scenario none of us are discussing here, and that is the, the, the simple one where you don't have a starting quarterback you have a qb 1a and a qb 1b and you you say right okay off you go justin you you've earned the right for the first drive and then you replace him with Tarod and you have a different look i mean i've always thought this i mean i, I completely get that uh, when you say you put the best when you say different look i mean what exactly do you mean they both have the same skill set they both do the same things the only different look is hey now i don't have to now my safeties can come in closer because i don't have to worry about getting yeah. the ball thrown over my head i don't necessarily know what the difference in look is between them in fact if you even throw in the backup 
the, well, the backup backup, whatever you want to call them, Easton Stick, like all three of them have almost exactly the same skill set. They're all able to get out of the pocket and move. They're, they're all able to kind of make short to intermediate passes. Um, it's just Herbert has a cannon for an arm, and he plays well under pressure. The other guys don't. There's, I think, do, so I think Bez is talking about trying to keep the, the, the defense guessing, maybe, Bez. Is that where, is that where you're going? Well, I am. I've always thought, and I get, I get John's point, I, I, you know, I'll pick up on that, but I've always not understood why NFL teams make decisions that are so certain that the opposition can rely on them and plan against them. You want to keep them guessing. You want to keep... Um, Keep, keep them having to adjust and have multiple, I mean, multiple plans in place and not know. So, you know, Turod and Justin may have a similar skill set, but when Justin's on the field, you know, you have to drop back and expect the long pass. With Turod, he isn't going to make the rookie mistakes, the intermediate interceptions that we've seen. I think he scrambles more. He's going to, even though they both can, I think he will given the opportunity, use his legs a bit more. Um, he will turn it over less. Um, I want to see I want to see a rotation at quarterback because, and you made this point um, a little bit earlier, but you can't, it will linger over the situation unless you put to put it to bed. Put them both out there. The other thing it, it means is that all the pressure isn't on your rookie. Um, you're saying to him, we're easing you in. You're, you know, If we lose another game, imagine if we keep losing games and he's the proper QB1. doesn't matter how well he performs. That's going to sit on his record and stink and he won't like it. So rotate it round. Um, the, the Saints do it. The Saints have Breeze as QB1. They bring in Taysom Hill for a few snaps. I'm, I'm going a bit further than that. I'm, I'm saying just put all three on the field. Eastern Stick... Herbert and Herbert and Turon all at once. <laughs> um, we don't have. I'll, I'll point out this as well. We don't have a uh, pass catching uh, extraordinaire like Eckler for this week. So you know, you put both on the field. You snap the ball to Justin Herbert. Turon gets a sideways pass. Is he going to throw it? Is he going to scramble? What's he going to do? Who knows? I think, I think the thing with the Chargers when we play well, we look really good. But yeah. when we play bad, we look we, we look really bad. It's it's like there's there's no in between that uh, from weeks two, three, and four. Uh, we we made some you know made some really exciting plays and then sort of shoot yourself in the foot on every six or seventh uh, drive. Mate, it's, uh, it, I, I I think you probably agree with this that oof. we literally could beat anyone in the league, but we could equally lose to anyone. Would you yeah. ever be surprised? No. No, I mean look. I mean look. Look at the Chiefs. No one in, no one outside of uh, my office expects us to be the Chiefs. All right, we took them to overtime. You know, and it's. I don't know. I'm just glad that I'm not making the decision who's starting under centre on on Monday because it's it's going to be a tough call. And I think the battle of the trenches is going to be important. And we, we, I mean, we, we talk about the Chiefs pass rushing, you know, Trey Hendrickson, he leads the team with three sacks at the minute, um, seven quarterback hits, he's on fire. So if we're going to get beaten up with a, because we've got a, a makeshift offensive line, do we even want to put, well, you've got, you've got two conundrums. Do you want to get your rookie quarterback beaten up? Or do you want to get your veteran quarterback beating up that's carried a, a rib injury it's like well uh, oh mr stick you're going in mate cause you're, <laughs> you're going to carry the camp for everybody else the eastern stick era is coming i've i've, I've promised it look, look dan um you know i saw some improvements with steichen's offense uh, against well in every game this season that he seems to be opening up the playbook 
allowing Justin to to thrive and, and challenge him. Do you think we're going to see another evolution in the Saints game? A bit of regression? What do you see from this game? Um, I... Again, it comes down to that question of who starts under centre. Um, if it's Herbert, I think yeah, they'll have they'll be able to work on a few more things, knowing that he's comfortable with everything that happened on Sunday. No, there was nothing really wrong with Herbert's game. He threw that one interception and he had that one dodgy handoff to Kelly. Um, knowing that the majority of the game, from his point, was fine, I think yeah, they may work on a few things. They've got that extra day of practice um, and. As you've said, Steichen's uh, kind of mixed things up a bit. Uh, I do want to see us get some more, um, get some more crossing plays and a few jet sweeps in there. But I don't think we need to. Re- if if Herbert's in there, I don't think we really need to change too much. Just as long as he gets the time and doesn't get hit. I mean, John made a good point last week. Recording this on a Tuesday is really difficult to uh, judge what the IR report's going to look like. Because as it stands, Mike Dub, Trey Turner, and Tyra Teller all questionable. So, and and Belaga as well. So it's it's going to be really hard to judge. They, those two veterans need to sort themselves out and get yeah. on the field. We might, yeah, you never know. We might see Storm Norton. <laughs> Mate, if this year is going to be a developmental year, you want to see these rookies. Parham's already got his touchdown. Get Norton in at left tackle could be the future. But uh, you know, it's it's a big game. We, did did we, we lose by a point last time we played the Saints at the queue? Was it 35-34 or something like that? I'm sure it was a shootout and um, from from memory. So, come on. 35-34. Come, yeah. come on, Dan. Dan's on mute. Get, so those, uh, get those fingers working. Yeah, it was 35-34. Yes, yeah. I'd take that the other way around. I'd take a 35-34 loss. Victory, right. sorry. Get on Scoring Army and find out what the score's going to be. Scoring Army, <laughs> I love that. Do you know what? Right, I don't. I feel as if they're not the team that they that we thought they were going to be. They're still a threat. I think we, if we're healthier, and we get some key people back on that O line, then um, do you know who not? Do you know what? Just to go off on a tangent here. Do you know who my boy? Who was my boy? And he's definitely not my boy. And that is Trey Pipkins. He's looked atrocious. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we need to get... You get a healthy Balaga, you get a healthy Trey Turner, you run behind um, Trey Turner. Actually, our, our O-line wouldn't be too bad if those two were fit and healthy. Um, you you mix it up a little bit, you get after the Saints, and this is the kind of game... I'm going to... Come on, I'm, I'm up in the ante on positivity. This is the kind of game that your typical Chargers are expected to lose. And what do they do? They go and win it in a blowout. We so, said that last week. <laughs> we did in fact say that last down, week. So I've just pushed it down the road one week. Don't let, don't tell our <laughs> listeners that. I'm trying to keep them excited. <laughs> oh my goodness, guys! Um, anyone got anything else before we wrap things up? Brace yourself. It's going to be a rough old ride on Monday night. <laughs> you won't be watching it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be watching it. Good luck. Guys, um, that's all from us this week. I want to thank you all again for sending in your questions, interacting with us on Twitter with the, with the uh, the listener polls. You're going to see those coming out again. We're going to throw some wild ones up uh, on the game. We'll be live tweeting as always. Um, check out the uh, the blog, the website at chargedupbolts.com. Guys, where are you on the socials so our listeners can get in touch? At 
Endzone85 and the main website is Charged Up Bolt. You can see you can see all of my musings uh, and all of my coach hatred on at Adroit Airs, <laughs> hashtag Audible Chocolate. And you can find me at UKLA Chargers or check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash charged up bolts. You can find me at Bez the Spaniard and the podcast live tweeting through all the games is at charge up pod. Come and get in touch. We love having you on board. So we've got some super fans through Facebook. You can find us on Facebook too. Once again, we head into a difficult week full of optimism that Herbie's our guy. Oh, oh is it is it Tarod? Is it? We don't know. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. Goodbye. <laughs>